Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the IUMI podcast. In this episode, we'll be looking at the roundup of 2021's marine insurance statistics presented at this year's IUMI conference in Chicago. 2021 was a positive year for marine insurers. Global trade saw a tentative recovery, with absolute premiums rising and claims falling, resulting in an improved loss ratio. Fast forward to 2022, and we face a very different picture. Global economic turbulence, inflation, rising interest rates, energy challenges, and the ongoing war in Ukraine. It is not an easy time to be a marine underwriter. We sit down with the two leading members of Ayumi's Facts and Figures Committee, Jun Lin, Vice President of Guard, and Astrid Seltman from CIFOR, the Nordic Association of Marine Insurers. We'll be discussing how the marine industry fared in 2021, the challenges it faces heading into 2023, and some of the key takeaways from this year's Facts and Figures report. So to start, Jun Lin, what are the main challenges and concerns for the marine insurance industry heading into next year? I think that the driver on the, the trade volumes is probably the main concern because everything is related to that. I mean, since, since we were being in Chicago, I think there's been few uh, media sort of mentioning, particularly the Shanghai Container Freight Index has halved since the end of July, for example. And that, that's clearly have some impact on the forecast on a number of things, particularly if you recall in Astrid's report that the value of hull was strongly driven by the container vessel value increases. And clearly this trend of container vessel value increases will flatten out, if not sort of coming down a little bit. On the other side, when you look at, still focusing on the hull side first, certain vessel segments like the tankers and LNG tankers particularly, they will remain to be strong for uh, the foreseeable future. But but these these areas sort of really varies. I mean, the, the same underlying drivers are like moving towards renewable will support the offshore segment now. So they're not working as much on the traditional sort of oil and gas, but increasingly evolved in sort of wind farm installation. But now you have both the, the oil price being high. So they, their utilization on those offshore fleet is also quite high. Jun Lin, global emission regulations are tightening for shipping. What has been the impact on the global fleet? I think if you look at the during the pandemic time, the, the demand for container vessel is dragging some of the very old container vessel out from scrap uh, or, or delaying it. So, I mean, the average age of the fleet is growing. That clearly tells that the people are hanging on to their older vessels. But in terms of how they deal with these uh, kind of emission standard related issues, I think from, from one of the Clarkson slides, they, they point out the increasing sort of retrofit of scrubbers, for example. It, it's it's hard to say whether that will be the dominant trends or not with the new kind of a new building program coming through. But one, one thing is clear is, is the uncertainty related to the type of alternative fuels being used in the future and that the order has slowed because people are waiting to be clearer in terms of what will be a, a winning strategy going forward. Astrid, the marine insurance industry has traditionally faced challenges when it comes to balancing premiums and claims, but 2021 saw a slight improvement. How have things changed in recent years compared to, say, 15 years ago? 
Well, the big difference the last two years has been that there actually has been some uh, type of positive trend for the Hull results. Uh, so, I, I mean, for about 15 years, I have been uh, forced to tell that the uh, technical results were negative. Uh, there actually has been uh, a positive trend the last two years that the results have improved the last two years is a combination of two fair. Uh, the one, one thing is that the premium volume increase in connection with global trade and also a sort of a recovery from bad Hull results from the years before. And the other thing is that we have actually had an extraordinary low claims impact the last two years or so. And that is partly there was some connection with the pandemic because uh, some segments during the pandemic showed a reduced activity. Also, that was well, very obvious for the cruise vessels, which were completely passive. And these are vessels with high values and which can cause high uh, damage and costly claims when something happens. And the other thing was that also so container vessels for a period had reduced activity and then we know supply offshore vessels they still had some reduced activity and they are also costly vessels so what we have been seeing since is a, a strong increase in vessel activity again also not only in container but this year in 2022 then also cruise vessels have in full activity again and both have high values and are shown a strong increase in values such as a container vessel so if something severe happens then we can see uh, uh, record losses anew which we haven't seen the last two years on the other hand everybody is talking about inflation and inflation may drive up the attritional loss cost and and probably will also when materials are getting more expensive and when labor cost is getting more more expensive that will drive the usual repair cost up. So the combination of both an expectation in repair costs increasing again and also a higher potential for more costly losses, the extraordinary low claims impact will not last. Um, but that said, there was also one exception to this rule. We have been talking a lot about fires, particularly on container vessels and on uh, cargo row vessels. As I mean, fires were the exceptions of the rule. Also, while we saw a decline in claims frequency for nearly all types of claims, this has not been the case for fires in the last couple of years. And fires cause costly claims once they occur, and the probability for large, uh, for costly fires has increased with vessel size because it has proved difficult to extinguish fires on container vessels, particularly when they arise in the cargo area. So that has been a big issue in the industry, which we are monitoring closely from, from year to year. And also for Carro Row, we also have seen a couple of severe fires. That is also interesting in that sense because there are more and more um, battery cars transported on these Carro Row vessels and they constitute a completely different risk when it comes to fires. Then also one, one very interesting aspect is, of course, connected to these ESG and sustainability issues that there is a lot of development done when it comes to propulsion and alternative fuels. And that is something where we have also trying to monitor how this may impact machinery damage going forward. So there are a number of uh, known trends and unknowns uh, which we have to monitor closely. And together with that, while global trade more or less is due to slow down again and there are some disruptions we, which create a lot of uncertainty, then we would expect that both on the income side, we will see some type of reduction again, and we will see some type of increase on, on the cost side. You know, so that is something we need to watch and then react hopefully in time.
2021, the global cargo insurance market was up 8%, with premiums reaching $18.9 billion. How do you see the cargo market in 2022 and beyond? Well, we talked already about the global trade, now that the global trade will slow down and that, of course, impact the cargo market quite a bit now because it's the overall insurable volume and values of the traded goods, which is relevant for what you can insure in the cargo market. Also, a number of unknown factors, of course, how these current events will really disrupt global trade and how quickly, I mean, after the pandemic, it recovered much more quickly than we thought. Right now, it looks a little bit gloomy, uh, at least here in Europe, when it comes to economic development, because most of the countries, they seem to be heading into some type of uh, recession. Then, of course, what we also have in cargo on on the other side, we have been talking uh, a lot about value accumulation, which has increased. I mean, that is not going away because we have bigger vessels with more accumulation on one vessel. We have a lot of cargo stored in certain ports, and that together with uh, climate change and net cat impact will then we also have the potential for, for higher, more costly event claims. And certainly that is a development we already saw uh, before the pandemic. We also saw, I mean, this summer there, there were a lot of wildfires everywhere in, in the Northern Hemisphere and uh, a lot of hurricanes seem to increase. It needs to be handled. No? I mean, we, we are insurers, so we need to, we, we have to insure the risk and look at the risk and evaluate it so we can't run away from that. And uh, then the well, the global trade, uh, as we will we, we see, as a, as a currently, as a, we will probably enter into some period of recession now, but how long that is going to last and uh, how quickly uh, then uh, trade will recover, that remains to be seen. I don't think anybody knows that at this time. No, but of course, I mean, trade will always survive. Also, I mean, uh, it has been there for forever and it, it will survive in, in some form, but uh, it will always be ups and downs, of course. I think we have seen the mini blip in the past while the, the society is not in a full swing recession. So you, if you look at sort of like the, the 14, 15 year, the cargo premium was reduced. I think it's too early to to know whether the volume reduction through the economic reduction will, will be sufficiently sort of dragging it down thinking that the inflation, i.e. that the value of the cargo individually, might also increase. And, and secondly, as, as Astrid sort of alluded to, premium has an element of payback. So it will also depends on the cycle of the market, whether the performance of the cargo insurance market have an impact on the rating level in the future. If we now turn to the offshore energy sector, premiums here hit $3.9 billion in 2021, following a short period of decline. What factors are behind this recent rise? It often had a very strong sort of connection to the, the underlying oil price. I think the decline in the offshore energy premium is a combination of the underlying sort of um, commodity price, but also the loss record has been relatively benign. There's no major incidents like the sort of Macondo or hurricanes that had hit the market. And the consolidation in the energy sector also meant a lot of the risks are taking off the open market insurance sector, which is what we're measuring. The market have seen sort of increase a retention of risk through captive and that's not sort of putting through to the normal sort of insurance purchase. So, so the oil price increase naturally sort of give a boost uh, to the premium volume. I think it will be part of the discussion in, in hand, but uh, it would be nice to know the increasing sort of premium that's seen in the market for the offshore wind farm side. 
I think that will be very interested and, and generally the market will be very interested to know and track the development. I mean, currently it's not quite clear. I mean, this, these are big and very valuable projects and it's not quite clarified. I think all the different aspects around that. No? Also, who is going to underwrite that? Is that more, is it, will that be in the marine department or will that be also in other departments? Or uh, you have some regulatory aspects and you, you have a lot of different aspects around that. Not all of these are yet fully clarified. But of course, when one wants to use like the existing offshore technology to play such forms and that is, uh, that is something which is in the making and, and under the development and it's of, of course it's from from the offshore market uh, offshore energy market perspective it's of course a very interesting new area to expand on uh, which everybody i believe is very keen to both understand better and also be part of this yeah it, it's very different sort of a loss profile so you, you don't have the blowout you, you typically see in oil platforms but you replace it with sort of like cable related losses so cable snap or sort of anchor sort of dragging the cable that sort of thing yeah i mean the the whole energy aspect is very interesting no? as jun said the number of lng vessels will increase no? because now europe is trying to get more independent of gas and uh, so so they need more lng terminals they need more vessels to transport the gas from different areas of the world and and it's all part of it no? and and now i mean we are all trying to figure out what fuels we are going to use in future where do we get the energy from how can we get more environmental friendly energy and of, of course wind, uh, offshore wind farms will be part of this and probably an important part of this as well no? because we have in principle we have the technology so so we uh, need to see where can we place them and how can we make best possible use of them so if we are seeing a decline in oil and gas premiums will that loss be offset by gains in the offshore renewable sector it's a very interesting question, but in the end, it depends on the risk again, Dana. So, I mean, we are telling all the time from the facts and figures point of view, you have to uh, charge premium, which is adequate for the potential uh, losses you will incur. And I mean, the potential losses may probably be quite high in that se segment. So, so then, of course, uh, the one, one should expect that there would also be a decent premium out of it. It's it's very different loss profile. And, and I think, I think the, the the demise of oil and gas is that the pace of it will be will be quite gradual. Um, you still have quite a lot of sort of residual asset to be in operation, and I think while the oil part of it would de decrease further and quicker, that the gas part is is probably not. I think a lot of the, the gas fuel developments are are relatively new, and then also for using sort of LNG, you need to sort of regasify it because it's it's sort of it reduced to to the temperature to to get into liquid form. You need to regasify it, and those are still assets that previously not widely used. Um, so I think the increase of a sort of floating regasification unit will, will be increasing, and they they are quite valuable assets. This year's IUMI facts and figures report once again takes an incredibly comprehensive look at premium data for marine insurance markets all over the world. What are the steps you take and challenges you face when compiling this kind of data? 
Yeah, that is an uh, interesting challenge each and every year, no? because in, uh, as a, for the IUMI report, uh, most of the data uh, originates from the various IUMI member associations around the world. So for, for the premiums and the loss ratios, then I contact the IUMI members around the world and try to get their reports for their respective markets. Of course, one of the challenges is to avoid double reporting to the degree that is possible because we know we are all in an international business. Business. A lot of companies are operating in various areas. Uh, the same vessels are insured in various areas. So I have to try to see too, but but I cannot, of course, control the figures the individual uh, member associations collect that they report only the direct premiums uh, and, and not like reinsurance, which would then double up things like that. So, so we have a set of definitions for what is being reported, which are also available from the IUMI website. If somebody has to have a look at that. There's, of course, other data, like the data which uh, Jun deals with about global economy and trade, where, where I create indexes from, because that is one of the most interesting things to compare, like the premium development with index for global trade volumes and values, or to compare it to vessel values and uh, the development of the world fleet or in the oil sector to the uh, activity of rigs and uh, oil prices and things like that, because this gives an indicator about correlations and what we may potentially expect going forward. Then uh, I also look at uh, claims trends, of course, to the degree uh, such data is available uh, for, for the hull business. So I use uh, to a strong degree the data we compile at the Nordic associations for physical damage to, to vessels. Uh, which represents a high share of the world fleet where it can derive uh, claims frequency and claims cost and also differentiate by traditional losses and by major losses and total losses to, to see what the claims trends are in, in the whole sector. For, for cargo, we have to look a little bit more what, what were big events. Uh, do we see an increase in large events or not? Yeah, it's a lot of different data. I mean, there are various, uh, for global trade, there are a number of good data sources around, like from the International Monetary Fund, UNCTAD, then others also recompiling this data. For, for the facts and figures, we, we get good input from um, yeah, these uh, professional data providers like like Clarkson's IHS and Lloyd's List Intelligence, where, where they recompile in the end the data which is available from other sources, but then it makes it easier for us, of course, to get some uh, compiled data instead of having to check a single thing by ourselves, which we don't have all the time capacity to do either. And it's 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 very interesting, Dani. Of of course, there's always uh, when uh, the big challenge is of course consistency. As I mean, the more data sources you have to use, and uh, I I can't control each of the associations how consistent they compile the data. I can only send out some definitions, but what you get. In, get back as of course I make some plausibility checks and compare with the data from last year to see if it hangs, seems to hang together or not. And then we know the major trends in the market. And, and so I have to see uh, does, does the data which has been reported this year make sense in relation to what I know about market developments. Then uh, something which is very interesting, which is coming up more and more is of course more dynamic data. So when, when you look like at the world fleet, Historically, you look at like ship types and engines or, or sizes of the vessels uh, to, to differentiate between different aspects. 
uh, now it's getting more and more interesting to look at how does the vessel behave, no? also especially in connection with the pandemic when vessels were partly less active than at other times, then of course the claims frequency is uh, directly correlated with how active a vessel is, also not only what type of vessel is, but how active it is. And there has been a lot of waiting time in, in front of uh, ports in connection with supply chain issues or backlog at, at ports. So, so this type of dynamic data is of course getting more and more interesting and, and there's more and more available via AHS data and, and potentially other sources. So of course, also interesting to look at geography, where, where do things happen? Also, this will also get more interesting in future when we really can link it also to the traffic density in the area. I mean, of course, you can look at where the claims happen. And when we see these figures, also intuitively, it's obvious. I mean, there are more claims like in the English Channel or the Street of Malaga than other places because the traffic density is higher. But the interesting thing will be to link that and again to, uh, to traffic density and vessel activity and then perhaps more risky other places. <laughs> you presented the facts and figures report to delegates at this year's Ayumi conference in Chicago. At a time when inflation is making every headline, in your opinion, what are some of the key issues in the report that marine insurers should be aware of as we head into 2023? Yeah, so, so one issue is, of course, uh, this year, what are the effects of the war? No? And uh, also, I, I, war insurance has been affected quite a bit, and that is a little bit more challenging to have exact figures on because it's very concentrated. No? Also, talking about gathering data, so one of the challenges with statistics is always that you have to have a certain number of participants in order to anonymize the data. And the more specialized it gets, the more demanding it is, because then you also, if you would have data on one or two units, then you would disclose their results and you cannot do that at association level. <laughs> but uh, of course, I, I think that's, I, I mean, it's the uncertainty which is around, no? which uh, is, also, also we can, we collect data and uh, the challenge, also, but there has been the challenge already the last two or three years no? that the data I collect from the associations is primarily as per year end of the year before, no? while we are each year in a situation where something happens within the year and we know it has happened by the time of the conference. And then you have to spend some thoughts on how to interpret the data going forward in the light of what you know has already happened this year. And that can be major loss incident that can be pandemic, that can be war, everything. And that, that is, of course, as I, I mean, you, you have to make some estimations about how you believe this impact the figures. But of course, nobody has the exact answer at the time then of the conference. So, but that makes it very interesting. I mean, uh, shipping is uh, shipping and, and marine insurance influenced by so many different factors and parameters that uh, leaves it always uh, interesting for us. Also, we do kind of the same thing, but it changes nevertheless every year and you have new issues every year which you have to think uh, spend some more thoughts about huh? we, we got a lot of interest also on uh, whether we we are possible to split out the offshore wind wind farm premiums but that that needs probably some discussion on the fundamental structure of how we collect the information in the comment i get most is because people have been out of physical iumi for a while they they probably pay less attention to the report while they're at home and then all of a sudden realized the shift from the Nordic market, uh, from the London market to the Nordic market really caught them by surprise. Well, thank you both for taking the time to talk to me today. Obviously, there are some incredibly complex issues the marine insurance industry faces in the not too distant future. 
IUMI and its Facts and Figures Committee plays a vital role in keeping the industry informed with independent and accurate data. This year's IUMI Facts and Figures report is now available to download. Visit www.iumi.com for more information.